cliffcentral.com We're going to cry, laugh and love. And we're going to do it together. The Life with Libang podcast. I always say um it's always good to have a, like the bare minimum should be a two parent household ideally. You need to strive for that because it's just little things that happen in a daily on the daily that one adult shouldn't be you know shouldn't have to do on their own. Do you know what I mean? And I say that because I've been a single parent and a parent with a partner. So it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. But within that same sentence, you know, having a child that is of, you know, I guess let me rephrase it this way. In this day and age, there's more families that are mixed. So it's rare to just come across a household where it's like mom and dad and the kids. Now it's like mom, stepdad, kids, half kids, half brothers, step, you know, it's, it's very mixed. And that's like more and more common. What the, the mold of traditional family looked like 30, 40, 50 years ago has completely evolved. Um, as the days go by and as the years go by. So it's interesting to see how those adjustments have affected a society and just us as children, you know, us as parents and just to see the evolution of that has been extremely interesting. So I'm quite excited and interested today to introduce my guest. She is somebody who knows the facts. And you know you need people that know the facts all the time because otherwise we're all just talking, uh, you know, from a, a place of like, of zero. So having somebody who knows the facts for me is always key so we can balance out our thoughts and match our experiences with the theory, essentially. And quite specifically, when it comes to the topic of co-parenting, there are so many things that a lot of us don't know, single mothers, single fathers, uh, even just parents that are in whatever situations, there's so many layers of it that we don't know. And I guess only until such a time that you experience it, do you then, you know, peel back all the layers and say, oh, so this is that, this is this, this is that. So allow me to introduce today's guest. Um, she goes by the name of Karen Taylor. You know the name Karen? <laughs> there's There's a lot of women who apparently are on this mission to change their names because the name Karen has just received, has taken on a new feel of late, uh, especially post lockdown. I don't know if, if you've seen some of the, the videos that have surfaced online. It's actually very funny. Um, and it's, again, it's just caused women to be like, Oh, my name was Karen, but I'm changing just because of that stereotype. It's actually quite silly. But Karen Taylor's with me in studio today. She was born and raised in Johannesburg, just like me. She studied at UJ where she got her BCom LLB degree. So we are literally talking like, you know, she knows what she's talking about. She's been practicing as an attorney since 2000. Nine and Benatar Inc. attorneys opened in 2016, and she has since become a solid family law, debt recoveries, and litigation practice. So there's times when I do, um, I join Gareth on the Gareth Cliff Show in the mornings, and he he loves to mention that you know, like lawyers, and he's also one who studied law, so he knows he's like lawyers just charge you like an arm and a leg for stuff you can do by yourself. And I mean, sure, sure, but. Can we do that stuff by ourselves? Do we have the time? Do we have the means? I guess lawyers are there to just kind of make it easier for all of us. So, Karen, I'm very, very excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to Life with Lebang. Welcome to Cliff Central. It's your first time here. So I'm excited that you're on Life with Lebang and we're, we're, we're uh, you know, breaking the seal here with you today. 
Same. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, of course. So I, I was actually surprised that you had actually never been here. <laughs> a lot of people have walked through the walls of Cliff Central and everybody's got this great Cliff Central story, but yours is quite simple, that your family loves Gareth and that your mom's actually a fan of Life with LeBang. 100%. Hi, mom. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Hope you're good. Thank you for the love. You've got a great daughter. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about, you know, co-parenting and some of the laws involved with co-parenting you know it's it's such a sensitive subject for most of us because it could it, you know it brings back trauma blah, blah blah there's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff but um off the bat you know karen just like what is a day in the life of karen look like when somebody walks into your offices and they say look i'm a single mom i'm a single dad i need help please help me what what is the first approach that you guys have with regards to assisting that person all right so you know generally when a client comes to see me specifically if it's obviously relating to um a a matter relating to children um you know it's either in terms of a divorce or an outstanding maintenance issue or um a contact um, dispute or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah. So, you know, typically we obviously need to find out what it is that, um, you know, that's concerning the parent and what advice they're looking for and where they're looking to go. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of factors to consider, you know, whether it's the start of the process, if a divorce has taken place, if there's court orders already in existence. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is a fact finding mission. Um, you know, we need to get to, get to, um, understand the situation that the client's in, and then obviously from there we can advise f- further. Yeah, to, you know, take it from them. Yeah, we're talking a little bit um, before we got into the studio about the process of particularly child maintenance. So, I personally was battling with it for years. Like from the the beginning, I like my son is now eight. And his dad had just decided to not be present in his life from around, I think when my son was like two, not even two, like one, he just kind of disappeared. And that was just the energy, like, like till this day, essentially, it's like, he'll come back once a year, pop in, be like, Hey, no, I really want to be in my child's life. Give me a chance. And I give him a chance. Then he mucks it up again. And as my child grows, he, his needs change as well. So I'm in a position where I'm like, if I was getting some sort of assistance from him financially, then I would, wouldn't be, I wouldn't have all this pressure. So I've thought about going to child maintenance court. And then I think about the process and I'm like, yo, <laughs> where do I even start? And then I go to Google and then Google tells me, no, just go to this website and fill in this form. And then I go to that website, I fill in the form. And then once I fill in the form, what do I do this? So the information is there, but what's not there is the almost the desperation considering the emotional cost which exists. I'm not willing to pay that price. It's just too much of a tax for me. And why is that the case? You know, for something so important, which is essentially a child's life and well-being, if a parent is just choosing to take a back seat and not involve themselves, then shouldn't that process just be a little bit simpler? You're 100% right. Um, it's a problem that I face with majority of my clients. Sure. Um, it seems to be, it, it's very unfair. And, and the biggest issue that I find with the maintenance sector is that there is no cost orders. Mm. So it's very easy for a parent, um, especially a defaulting parent, which means the parent that isn't paying or isn't paying enough, um, 
to frustrate the system. Mm. So we can go to court for a section six, which is the initial process for a maintenance inquiry to basically get all the financial documents and determine, you know, both parties' financial position. Mm. They can get these postponed 10, 15 times and there's no cost orders. So you go there, you drag your attorney or you go by yourself, you spend all day waiting in court and nothing happens, which generally results in people just giving up. Yeah. They get so frustrated with the system. So, you know, that, that for me is the, the biggest issue when it comes to it. But the procedure is very frustrating as well. Um, it, it's a long road. So, you know, every court has a different process. So, yes, there's, there's forms and templates that you can get off the websites, which are helpful. It helps you determine yeah. what you need to ask for, um, you know, how to do your calculations. Um, but when you get to court, you don't know where to go. So yeah. you've got to be directed to the right people. And then, the, the assistance isn't always great. So some courts it's wonderful, other courts it's a nightmare. Mm. So it, it really, and, and that's where it helps bringing in an attorney because you generally know people in the courts and you know where to go, you know what to do, you know what documents are needed. Yeah. I mean, often clients come and they've been sent from pillar to post and they won't assist them because they didn't bring this one document with them and then they've got to go get it again. So it is, it's a very frustrating process and you're 100% right. You know, at, at this point when you are requiring maintenance, it shouldn't be so hard. It shouldn't be such a long process because mm. you are financially struggling mm. and the party that seems to not want to contribute gets away with it. It's so annoying and frustrating because literally the party that's not involved just goes on with life. Life continues for them. They not like they're not accountable for anything. They don't even think about what their children are eating, what school they like absolutely nothing. And it's almost as though the systems just let it be and let it happen. You know, I, th- I think about how many single parents just simply cannot afford a lawyer. I mean, for most, it's like their daily stresses are, what am I going to eat tonight? How am I going to, you know, get some food for the day? That is like, that's the basic need that they are dealing with. On that list of needs, going to court, blah, 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 fighting for maintenance is simply not there. There's no time for that. So it's almost like the system is working against um, individuals like that who, who just can't afford such services. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. So if a parent is unable to support their children financially, what are the implications from a legal perspective? Because there's some parents who, again, just simply can't afford it. And, you know, I, I believe that if you can't afford to have a child, you shouldn't be having children, number one. But let's say it's too late and there's the child. Then what? And they simply can't afford it. Um, then what are the implications? Because there's some parents who can afford it, but just choose to not participate. So I think let's, let's discuss both, both sides of that spectrum. Okay. So, you know, when it, when it comes to a situation where a parent cannot afford it, um, obviously it has to be proven and established that that is actually the truth and mm. it is the position because a lot of people claim it. And it isn't the case. But, mm. you know, when, like you said, when we're dealing with our board, broader spectrum of people, most people just generally can't. Yeah. You know, they're living on a tiny income with three or four children. They just can't afford to put food on the table, as you sure, said. Sure, sure. The implication with that is that there is actually no implication. If there is no money, you can't get blood out of a stone. Mm. So there is nothing that you can do. However, you know, if, if their parents, however, so the paternal grandparents, there is a duty of support. On paternal grandparents. Oh. So if they are in a position to support your child, mm. then you can actually bring a, a, an application or a claim against them. Again, it's a court process, mm. but, you know, there are, there are ways and means. Obviously, you can try to approach them first and, you know, 
see if you can come up with some sort of arrangement. But there oh. is actually a duty on paternal grandparents. This is this is good information. This is good information because uh, you know I I was of the belief that it starts and ends with just the parent, and you like some pe- people's parents, like the grandparents, are able. They are wealthy. They are chilled, but. This is good. I'm writing this down. I'm taking notes. I need to hear this. This is good because then obviously there's like solutions, right? 100%. There generally is a solution. Yeah. And in the case of a parent who just doesn't want to. So in the case of a parent that doesn't want to, it's extremely frowned upon. Mm. So, um, mm. you know, and, and this is, I deal with this quite often. Mm. You know, a, a lot of parents will pay what they feel like paying, not what they should be paying. Sure. So they will throw out a figure and that's the figure that they're yeah. happy with because yeah. it suits their lifestyle. Exactly. So the maintenance courts frown upon this. Um, you know, it's, and that's generally when we do have to go to court because we have to, to establish what mm. are your means? What is your ability to pay? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we go as far as to look at your expenses to see, do you have DSTV? Well, that's a luxury expense. Cut that out. Exactly. Your money. Exactly. Um, you know, are you buying alcohol and cigarettes? Those are luxury. Cut that out. Exactly. Because every cent helps. Mm. So, you know, we, we actually, in, in terms of our maintenance inquiries, that's as far as we go. We get bank statements. We look at every single thing you buy or spend money on, mm. every amount that you receive. And we determine what is your ability to pay for your children because it's not about what you want to pay. It's what you should be paying to maintain your children. Exactly, exactly. So and I have to ask because I know some people, for whatever reason, some parents will go out of their way to just simply not pay the maintenance. They would much rather lie in court, either submit uh, false documents or not even use the banking system. They'll just operate, you know, with cash, et cetera, et cetera. Like to what extent uh, are you guys, you know, allowed to get access to like certain information pertaining to spending habits of, you know, the said parent? So when you, when you start a, um, a maintenance inquiry, there's a number of documents that they are requested in terms of the, the notice calling them to court, setting out what they are required to bring. So it's the bank statements and X, Y, and Z. It's, it's a whole list of documents. Yeah. The majority of the time they don't bring them. So we postpone for them to bring them on the next occasion. But if, if it gets to a point where they're frustrating the system, they're not bringing the documents, you know, they're refusing the requests, mm. we then have to get them ordered to do so. So then we would approach the magistrate and chambers, explain the situation, and they would then do an order. Okay. And if they don't comply with the order, they're in contempt. But like you said, we get the situation where a lot of people deal with cash. Mm. So you know that they're living a lifestyle, mm. but – it's very difficult to prove. And often I do get this situation. Mm. So the courts do have a maintenance investigator. So they, they can investigate, have a look into it. You've got to look at a person's lifestyle, their eating out habits, the, where they're living. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, generally you can determine whether a person is living above their means and then how are they affording that lifestyle? Yeah. So there are means and ways to do it, but it is a very difficult one to establish. Sure. I can imagine like if, if you're living in Bryanston, but your child is living in the township, like, you know, something's clearly up. Exactly. So this, like I said earlier, that the new sort of um, structure of families these days are very, very mixed. And that's becoming more and more of the norm where there's step parents and step children involved in most of these households. What role does a step parent play in such a case? Like, can a step parent, you know, be obligated to support a child? 
So there's no obligation in terms of the law on a step parent. Um, so they they are not. There's no duty to support, no duty um, to maintain, nothing along those lines. Sure. Um, so there was an interesting case. Um, I think the judgment was 2009-2010, I stand to be corrected. And yeah. I've actually written a blog on it on my website. But in terms of this case, um, it was um, – I'll just give a brief sure. outline of it. So basically, sure. mother and father um, divorced. Uh-huh. There was a child left from the marriage. Um, the mother remarried. The stepfather got a very close relationship with the child mm. um, for, on the mother's side. They, he wanted to adopt the child. The adoption, however, never happened. Mm. The mother and the fa- and the step parent um, went together to look at a number of schools for the child. They picked one, enrolled him together. He agreed to be responsible for the school fees for the child. Yeah. Um, and then, in the eventuality, the child was enrolled, and then the parents got divorced. Well, the step parent and the mother got divorced, um, yeah. like two years later. Sure. The mother then brought a claim for maintenance against the step parent. Hmm. Or the school fees. Hmm. And the courts were actually of the opinion that because he had acted as the child's father and he took on the responsibility to pay those school fees for the child, hmm. he actually had to continue to maintain the school fees. Even after them. Even though he was not the father. Yeah. No, I, but I completely agree with that because now when this is a child we're talking about, exactly. as soon as you make that stand and you say, you know what, I will look after you, then that's kind of, it's you signing it up for it for life. Exactly. And that's what the, what the courts are trying to do. They're trying to bring the children's rights in line with the constitution. So the mm. Children Act and the Bill of Rights are combining that to obviously make children's rights prevalent. That sure. They have the right to be maintained, the right to care, the duty of support. So all of those things are brought in. Yes. So because he undertook the obligation and he acted as the child's father, he was actually ordered to continue to pay the school fees. Aluta continua. I love that. I think that's, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely fair. I mean, it's unfair that the child's biological father wasn't around. Exactly. But the minute you take on that role, if it got as far as I want to adopt you to be my own child, then... Exactly. Clearly then, you know, this is what you want, regardless of, you know, what happens between you and the parents. And that's actually something I want to uh, speak on a little bit because from my experience, part like most parents, um, and I guess most males, because statistically there's more single mothers than there are single fathers in South Africa. It's just, it's, it's wild. The numbers are crazy, but, um, in most cases, the fathers attach those children to the mothers. And if they then have maybe bad vibes with the mother or they things didn't end well or they just can't be civil, the child suffers. What are some of the ways that the child is protected from that and so that if anything happens, you know, the child at the end of the day takes priority and is still maintained and look, looked after and, and, and without all the stupid, silly adult stuff that really doesn't matter. So yeah, it this is a it's also a common a common situation that happens. Um, mm. you know, especially when parents are still upset or are very emotional about mm. the breakup or the divorce and mm. there's a lot of anger. Yeah. They generally the kids are put in the middle. Yeah. And it becomes a, a very challenging situation. Um, you know, so so technically the the general approach is when you get divorced, there's a settlement agreement which sets out your your rights and your contacts in respect, uh, you know, your contact rights are in respect of the children. Um, or if there is no divorce but you've separated, there's a parenting plan which in essence does the same thing. Yeah, those agreements 
should outline everything and make everything simple and easy about, you know, the transition, you know, from one parent's to the other parent's house and things like that. And the agreement should also stay in there, things like you can't badmouth the parent in front mm. of the children, mm. you know, things like that, because you try to keep them as innocents. Sure. You don't want to involve them and bring them into the situation. You know, of they course. should know nothing about the conflict that's going on. Yeah. But that is in an ideal world. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't have that level of maturity, then you'll obviously struggle with that. You do struggle. And like I, I see it daily. I see the fights that go on. The children mm. get dragged through. They get made to pick sides. They feel mm. guilty having contact with the other parent because the other one gets upset. So it's, it's a very difficult line. Yeah. That it's very easy to cross over. Um, <sighs> you know, so generally, you know, my advice in these situations is to just, be mature. Mm. Look at your relationship in a different view. Stop looking at it as a past relationship where there's hurt and emotion. Sure. See it as a new relationship where your focus should be on your children. Mm. Because the whole Children's Act is centered around the best interests of the child. Mm. And that is every move you make, every decision you make should be about your child. 100%. Not about each other and trying to hurt each other and using the child as a pawn. Because mm. that also happens. You yeah. Know, you use their child to hurt each other. Exactly. So it's very difficult to do. There, there's nothing in law. Or, um, you know, in terms of the Children's Act that sets out what you can and cannot do in respect of, you know, the, the contact with the children, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but you just have to try and be an adult about it. And if you really are struggling, you need to get into therapy or do something, something. To, to prevent your child from becoming a victim in the situation. Definitely. And it's like you're saying, like, get help. Because the the long term effects that this has on the children is what's the most pain, most painful thing. Because what we forget is that these are children now, but these are children that are eventually going to grow into adults. And when they become adults, they struggle with some of these basic interactions. They struggle with relationships, with social skills, their view on love, their view on so many things is is twisted just because of like the selfishness that is carried from one parent to the other or vice versa. So I'm definitely of the notion that Regardless of how you feel about your baby mama or your baby daddy, you have to protect your child in all cases. Like my, my son, when he started asking questions like, where's my dad? When am I going to see dad? I would literally be like, I'd have to lie to him and say, Oh no, your dad's, you know, he's busy working, but he's going to call blah, blah, blah. Just because I don't want him to know to which extent it's actually bad. Like it's so bad, but let me take on that bad and then I'll get over it. But I don't want to involve him in that mess. As as far as my child is concerned, his dad is around and when he calls, he calls. But he has no cooking clue that he's actually essentially been rejected for the past seven, eight years. And I, I want him to grow up and make that decision by himself. He'll see for himself what, you know, what he's what he's dealing with. But it's not on me as the mother to paint this nasty picture for him. I just think it would be so unfair. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's yeah. It's it's really not the way. So what happens if a mother or a father refuses to um the child to visit or see the other parent? Because now we have situations where let's say the co parenting is actually going okay and um you know the the communication is clear the terms are set every second weekend. You can fetch the child every school holidays. You can fetch the child, blah, 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 blah. But what if I'm actually just like not comfortable with it? What if I'm worried about what my child is going to learn? What if I'm worried about what my child is going to get exposed to legally? What are those implications? Okay. So in terms of the law, um, you are generally 
only protected if you have a parenting plan or a court or- that's been made a court order. Okay. So, um, you know, if there's a court order that's setting out the contact rights, um, you know, if a parent refuses to comply with what's in that agreement, then the other parent has recourse where we can approach the court because you're now in contempt of a court order. You will yes. be able to get the assistance of the police if they're refusing to allow the child to come with you. The police can come and assist to obtain the child for contact, which yeah. you obviously you want to avoid. But, mm, mm. you know, when you don't have a parenting plan or court order put in place, you're, you know, you have the right. It's not taking your right away, but it's very hard to enforce the right. Sure. That's why a parenting plan is so critical mm. when, when a relationship is terminated. Mm. Um, but um, so there are grounds where a parent can legitimately, in terms of the law, refuse contact. Mm. Um, and those grounds are normally if there's abuse, you're suspecting that there's abuse with the child, um, neglect, mm. maltreatment, um, mm. you know, their safety is at risk. So those sort of circumstances, you as a parent have to act in your child's best interest. And yeah. if you suspect that they are in danger, you have to take steps necessary to protect them. So you can stop it. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously – it, it is very much frowned upon to alienate a parent from the child. So there must be grounds. There must be reasons. You know, Karen, I don't know. I, if if the parent is like just a crappy human being, then is it? are you not acting in your child's best interest by separating them? You know, on paper, it, it looks like you're just this mean person who's only like trying to hurt the parent and... No, no one's trying to hurt anyone. All you're thinking about is your child's well-being. This person's clearly not mature enough to handle the situation. And if this person's life is taking that direction and you can see that it will mess with your child's life, you have every right to refuse those visits. At some point, like it, it shouldn't matter what people think. And, oh, it's so frowned upon. People are going to, I don't care. <laughs> it's my child. And if I believe that my child is going to learn absolutely nothing by engaging with that person, then surely as the mother or the father, I should be allowed to make that decision. So, so like, as I said, if you feel that, that your child is, is at risk. So, yeah. you know, whether he's going to be emotionally abused or, you know, the, the, Circumstances are going to create a problem for your child either today or tomorrow or sometime in the future. Yeah. But if you have those feelings, you need to address the feelings and yeah. you need to sort them out and you need to either approach and do things in the right way by simply just avoiding and refusing contact without yeah. justifying as to why you're doing it. Um, there are, there can be dramatic consequences. So it can be up to a year of imprisonment or a fine if you're found guilty of depriving the other parent of contact. Because remember, contact is not about you. It's not about your partner. It's for mm, children. The child, yeah. Because they deserve yeah. to have a relationship with both their parents. So yeah. as much as you hate them or think that they're useless or whatever the case may be, sure. your children still love the parent. And, you know, so your role as the primary residence holder, mm. which is the parent that the child resides with predominantly, yeah. your role is to facilitate the contact. Sure. Because if you are seen to be alienating contact, um, you know, it's obviously, it, it can have mm. dramatic consequences for you as a family. Um, so, you know, if they, like I said, if there's a risk, then you are well within your rights to protect your child and to make that decision. Yeah. And then you will have to justify it if that person decides that they're going to approach the court for relief because they're being denied contact. Sure.
Sure. No, it, it all it all does make a lot of sense. And just to to mention on that point, uh, there's a, a very common misconception um, with parents that if a father doesn't pay maintenance, mm. they're not entitled to contact with the child. Yeah, that is not the case at all. Okay, you cannot deny a parent contact if they do not pay maintenance. Mm. They're two completely distinct and separate components. Mm. Um, so obviously, you have relief in respect of both, but failure to pay maintenance does not take away. That right. All right. No, completely. So just, just to make the listeners aware. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if the parent just isn't interested in seeing the child, then you don't have to worry. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Karen, do you agree with experts who say that it's better for children from broken homes to have a step parent? Because, you know, kids of today kind of, they struggle a bit more generally. So already if you've removed one parent and then that child is faced with just one parent to live with and depend on and, and, and that parent could have their own struggles. You know, a lot of single parents have one kid, more than one kid, one job, more than one job. Life is life. It gets difficult. Would you advise that it's better for a household to have a step parent than having just one parent? According to experts. Um, So it's quite a difficult question because Mm. everything's circumstantial. Sure. You know, it depends on who is the step parent. Mm. Do the kids get on? Do they not get on? Do they come with their own children that are going to come into the family units? You know, are they going to get along? So it, you know, it, it helps, helps the single parent, you know, because now there's two sets of hands helping, carrying, fetching, lifting, but it doesn't always mean that that would be the circumstance with the step parent. Mm. Um, you know, it could create a lot of animosity in a family, you know, if they don't Mm. get on and they're fighting. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of circumstance. It depends on the circumstances. It depends who your new partner is that's coming into the home. There's a lot of benefits to it, but again, there's also a lot of, Cons, if, if it's not a good fit or you don't get on or, you know, it could be a terrible step parent or sure. that's coming into the environment. So, you know, it could, abuse could come into the home. There, there could be a lot of things that come with it. Yeah. So it, it's a difficult question to answer because it is, it's so circumstantial. It depends. Dependent yeah. on each family unit. So if you had to choose, and I know you said it's a difficult question, but if you had to choose the blue pill, is a single parent household that is like full of joy and love and peace and processes and safety, security, and everybody's happy. That's the blue pill. And the red pill is a family unit with a step parent. And the step parent comes and sort of brings in like a different energy that doesn't really gel well with the kids. Maybe they bring their own kids and their own drama and their own problems. Maybe they're in debt, you know, a list of things that could happen. Which one would be more ideal? The first poll. <laughs> Definitely. I have to agree with you. It's almost like a no-brainer, you know. 100%. But there's probably people out there who are like, oh, you know, I can do with the help. I'll take all that other stuff, you know, because as you're saying, it's just so it depends. It depends on the situation. Yeah, and it, it's an unfortunate reality because a lot of people can't live alone, so they need a partner. Sure. And a lot of people sometimes are not in a financial position, so a partner comes sometimes with a bit of financial security, so exactly. they opt for that exactly. over the happiness of the house. So and what's the real cost, right? What's the real cost if that's your situation? Um, and unfortunately, I've, I've been hearing and not hearing, but reading a lot of stories and blogs lately about... Um, Young women who are now, you know, 20, 21, 22, who are able to speak out about certain situations that they experienced when they were a lot younger, when mommy got remarried to their stepdad and their stepdad uh, abused them in other forms. Back then, they weren't 
able to speak on it. But even when they did speak to mommy, they'd be like, mommy, this and that is happening. And the mothers were like, well, my baby, we don't have a choice. If we leave him, where are we going to go? Because financial dependence. If we, well, or worse, I don't believe you and I love him. So it's, it's very, very layered and it's definitely dependent on circumstance. But I feel that within your own capacity as a parent, if you are able to provide all those things that I listed, the love, the peace, the joy, the, the happiness in your household, just try your best to focus on that because that'll ultimately determine the kind of adults that you're raising and the kind of life, uh, things that primarily is in their environment that they will get so accustomed to. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, this is what life is. So if you are putting your child at risk, then you shouldn't be a parent. I truly like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be having children if you think like that. And if you think softly in that way, that's exactly it. As a parent, you can't be selfish. No. It's very hard to be, but parenting is selfless. It and, really is. And generally you have to make a lot of sacrifices mm, for your children. You do. Like forget about getting that Louis Vuitton bag. Just forget, <laughs> just forget about it. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, I know you've been saving up, but every January these schools want the, the school fees on the 1st of Jan. Exactly. You know, they want, sometimes they want more than just that. So just forget about it. Um, or just work harder, but it really is that it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing becoming a parent because you live your life, you get into your twenties or whatever. Well, for the most part, and some people just hit brick walls and they're like, why am I living? Uh, what am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, maybe let me have a child. That'll give me a sense of purpose. And then they have a child and then they're like, you're. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> what? Cut, cut, cut. Let's rewind. Um, jokes, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't work like that. It's a life long commitment it's a lifelong partnership 100%. and even the person you have a child with you have to be so careful you have to be so so careful about who you have a child with and try your best to be married first i know that just like it kind of sets the grounds already it makes things easier but in a case where you're not married try your best to pick the right person because that person is essentially going to also be a lifelong guide for your child. So ask yourself if this person treats me like this and this, this is how they respond to conflict. If this is how they deal with finances, if this is, you know, the things they're addicted to, whatever the case is, how will that affect your child? If those answers are all doomed, then I think you know what's, what to do. <laughs> Just keep it moving on to the next one. <laughs> so Karen, let's talk a bit about the different family structures, new family structures. Um, you know, children often face stress under new family structures where, for instance, there's a step parent that's introduced or maybe they come with their step children. It's, it's no secret that people don't like change and sometimes change doesn't necessarily work well. Um, you know, does this have to do with uninvolved parenting styles? So being an uninvolved parent definitely comes with a whole number of issues and sure. it definitely will make things a lot harder mm. because you're not involved. You're not thinking about your child. You're not asking your child questions. You're not seeing how they're coping, how things are going. Yeah. So it definitely will create a lot of conflict. You know, it, 
and it, you know, it's also, it, it becomes very child dependent because yeah. some kids are very easy. Like you said, some people can cope with stress and change. Others cannot. Yeah. But you have to look at a child's age, the maturity, you know, all of those things. But you have, for me as a parent, you have to be involved. And if yeah. a child is living with you and there's other people coming into their circumstances, you need to make sure that they're happy and they're comfortable and yeah. they're not found out why and try to fix it. Yeah. Um, you know, because you don't want to create the stress, um, you know, for kids that, you know, and, and it generally will come out in behavior, um, you know, issues at school, mm. grades dropping, you know, mm. things like that. So, you know, kids are also very good at covering stuff because they want to keep you p- happy as a parent. Exactly. So they don't always let you know that they're actually miserable or very unhappy in, mm. in the, the lifestyle that you've now created, you mm. know, with, with the blended or mixed families or whatever it is. Sure, sure. And like, with, with that being said, you know, in a situation where you're not involved in your child's life on, on that level, but you want to now, let's say you have a change of heart and you want to start seeing your child and you start seeing your child and, but your child is not vibing with you. You know, in some cases, as you're saying, you know, kids will protect themselves and not, not themselves, but they, they want to keep their parents happy. So even if they're not happy, they're not going to show that. But what happens in an instance where this child is telling you straight up, mommy, I don't want to go to daddy's house anymore, but legally, you know, we've signed blah, blah, blah. And you, this child has to see daddy. If not, then, you know, daddy can come knocking with the papers from the courts. The lawyers said ABC. How do you deal with that? If your child is literally saying with their own mouth, I do not want to attend, but the law has allowed this to happen. And and this is the, the situation that we faced with quite often. So, you know, as I said, if there's a court order, you have to comply with it as far as possible as you can. Yeah. Um, and if it just becomes down to a child saying, I don't want to go, you know, you have to follow correct approaches because it's a very emotional thing for a parent mm. to now force your child to go when exactly. they're crying and they don't want to go. And, you know, it's, you know, and so you're forcing the child to go and then it's guilt because you're making them go and they don't want to go. But the consequences if they don't go in terms of what your parenting plan says are obviously not a great result for you as the mm. parent. Mm. So, you know, my advice in these circumstances would be is get to the bottom of why they don't want to go. Sure. Because ultimately things could be bad now, but in three months time, if the contact continues, it could be a lot better yeah. you know, because as the bond and the relationships get gets better, it could happen. Mm. Maybe it won't. Mm. And then, you know, if it doesn't, you need to then follow the approaches, contact an attorney or go to a social worker to investigate what is in the child's best interest. Mm. And if they are of the opinion that this contact is not in their interest, the child's receiving no benefit, no value. Um, you know, he goes, for example, the child goes to the other parent and the parent goes off and mm. goes to Bryce and the mm. child's at home. Then obviously it's, it's not, not the right sort of contact, you know, so sure. everything in this, the sector is circumstantial. It's yeah. all based on facts. But yeah. if your child is generally unhappy, and, you know, the forced contact is just unbearable and it's, it's coming out and, you know, fighting and it just becomes unbearable. Then you need to try and take measures, you know, yeah. discuss it with the other parent. But I also have situations where a parent doesn't want to discuss it with the other parent because then the child will be put in the middle and then, you know, mm. the parent gets childish and says, oh, okay, well then I just won't see them. And, you know, that yeah. sort of thing comes. Yeah. So it, it's a very, common. it's, it's, it's very difficult to determine because, if the law says he has those contact rights, 
it's not really up to the child. As you are the parent, mm. you are the one that says what they will do. Sure, sure. So, you know, that's why there are the provisions where you are entitled to refuse contact. But, um, you know, ultimately, if it is creating an, a, a, a mental effect on the child, then, you know, you, you have to follow the measures, go mm. to a therapist, get a report to say it's affecting them, and then the contact will be stopped or diminished or reduced or, you know, maybe we phase the contact down. So instead of a full weekend, they're getting a few hours on a Saturday, you know. So yeah, you try to look yeah. at solutions that work for everybody. Yes. Because you also have to take into account that other parent, you sure. know, how that would hurt them and, you know, they would also lose that contact and the bond with the child. So. Yeah. You know, they also look at the age of the child because the child does have also have a right to say what they want. Yes. But the courts have to also look at the age, yeah. um, you know, because if you look at a child who's 18, they, you know, it's hormones. They, oh. they get in that phase where they're like, well, I don't want to go because dad's too strict. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can't say, okay, well, then you don't have to go because dad's strict. Mm. You so still have to go. You still have to go. Sure. So, again, it's so circumstantial. Mm. So everything you just need to kind of – Think about it, take a step back, try to follow the right measures of doing it, mm. try and involve the other parent if it's possible. If it's not, then you need to get assistance. Yeah. And in that same case, how does uh, that said parent then protect themselves um, from such a situation where, sorry, um, the child doesn't want to come by? You know, you as the parent who's expecting your child to come through and they don't, how do you then protect yourself from that situation? So the best way to protect yourself, obviously, is to have the parenting plan mm, that mm. has been made a court order because mm. then you have rights to enforce. So yes, you have the rights, but it's hard to enforce them without the order. It is, it is. Because the police won't help you. I've had clients that have gone, you know, when the, we're in the middle of a settlement. So the, there's nothing that's been ordered by the court mm. and the mothers just refuse to hand them over. Mm. And they go to the police for help and they say, unless there's a court order, we won't help you. Sure. So the, the best way to protect yourself as a parent and the children is to have a parenting plan in place that just defines everything that's, that needs to take place. It can go as far as to what time the contacts um, start, how they're going to be dropped off, where they're going to be dropped off, who's going to collect them. Um, you know, and if you are a couple or two co-parents that are extremely conflicted, mm. you, through that agreement, you limit your contact as much as possible. That sounds so nice. I like that idea. <laughs> that sounds so nice. Like just not having to make contact with this person at all because there it's written down. If you need to know a refresh on the rules, there it is. Exactly. The court has ordered it. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit, Karen, about the actual process of co-parenting. You know, in an ideal world, two parents would be civil. They'll communicate clearly. You don't even need to involve the courts. In most situations, the court only gets involved when the parents are struggling and are conflicting all the time and blah, 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 blah. But how can parents ensure healthy joint custody arrangements? Because you know, as, again, it's just so different. Different parents have different situations, different circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But how can parents ensure just like a healthy joint custody arrangement that would essentially affect the child positively and themselves? So the best way is to obviously get advice, know what your rights are. Sure. Um, you know, read the, the Children's Act. It's very informative. Um, you know, if you are in a situation where you cannot afford to get an attorney um, or legal aid is not an option for you, yeah. read the Act. It actually tells you a lot of information. I mean, we refer back to it all the time, mm. you know, to make sure that we're on the right path when, you know, we're faced with situations that that's not the norm. Yeah. And um, the Maintenance Act also, very informative. Um, so 
make yourself knowledgeable sure. on the situ- situation that you're in. Sure. I mean, you can literally find anything on the internet. Yeah. You really can. I mean, these, these acts uh, are accessible. <laughs> they're accessible to us, Karen, but they are long. They are long. And the jargon <laughs> there is like 14.A part two plus one minus three. The child shall not this, 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 that. Then you need to refer back to the annexure for this, this, that. And then 16 pages later, it'll divide. Yo, it's, can we just get a summary? Can somebody just like, rec- like an audio book of all these acts and then we can just access that. Listen to it like a podcast rather because my gosh, it's a lot. I agree with you. I mean, the parenting act or the children's act, sorry, is like 201 pages. Yo. So I get it. <laughs> when, when am I going to start? But it's, it's, look, it's a good idea. But definitely. you know, if you're looking at just looking at a parenting plan and what should be in it, it's like it's all there. section 33 and you just read that section. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so it's know, section 33 for real. Exactly. Okay. And then it refers you to specific sections that are relevant to that. Yeah. But, you know, so at least it gives you a bit of guidance if you cannot afford an attorney. But the best way to make sure that your parenting plan is beneficial for everybody, Mm. everything just runs smoothly, Mm. is to have a parenting plan. And it's to try and outline everything. I mean, it goes as far as... What's going to happen on public holidays? Are they yeah. going to alternate between the parties? Yeah. What happens on school? Are we dividing the school holidays? Um, so just cater for everything. Sure. But also bear in mind that once you have this parenting plan and it's made an order of court, it doesn't mean that's the end of the road and it can mm. never be changed. Mm. You can always amend it. Yeah. I like that. It's sounding like the proper solution just to avoid unnecessariness in the whole process just because of how sensitive it is. Karen, let's talk a little bit about the mistreatment and abuse that could potentially be done by a step parent to a child. It is of course an, an unideal situation and it is, you know, I gave you an example earlier just about, you know, what could happen in those situations, but it does happen. And there's obviously consequences. What are some of the mental problems that arise in these situations, particularly towards the children? Okay. Well, I don't profess to be a psychologist or have a proper know-how on what the mental implications would be. Yeah. But I mean, coming from a divorced family myself, Mm. obviously witnessing it with my clients and Mm. friends, you know, that have been through these situations, um, you know, divorce, it can be catastrophic to to, to some children. Um, you know, it's, it's ripping apart everything they've known. Um, it can cause a lot, you know, and, then this new parent comes in, yeah. um, you know, and, and abuse starts and it can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be sexual, mm. you know, there can be many forms of it. And yeah. it particularly demonstrates with depression, with anxiety, there's often loads of threats of suicide. Mm. Um, you know, so it definitely can have a massive effect when there's abuse in the home. And, mm. and you touched on it earlier, specifically in the circumstances where the mother either knows of it and does nothing or the father knows of it and does nothing yeah. or, they're not aware of it or they don't believe it, mm. you know, and, and the results of that are just, I mean, I can't even imagine yeah. what, what the result would be as a functioning adult. You sure. know, do you think now that that's a normal home environment? Mm. Um, you know, generally that's where abuse will stem because sure. it happened to you as a child. So then it happens going forward. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, there's even a, a, a term now called the Cinderella effect, mm. which is um, a, a condition that's come about that um, is basically how parents, step parents, mm. abuse their stepchildren, mm. and it, it's become like this the syndrome about how it's uh, like I read a, a study that abuse by a step parent to compared to abuse by a biological parent is like seventeen percent higher. Jeez Louise. 
So it, it definitely is an eventuality. It mm. does happen. Mm. Um, you know, obviously we all hope that we pick the partner that wouldn't do something like that. But sure. I think, you know, the results could be extremely bad for, of course. for a child if they're undergoing it. And yeah. you know, if measures are not taken to protect that child, it will affect them for the rest of their life. Exactly. Exactly. I, I really just want to take this moment to like urge parents who are suspicious of any, um, weirdness happening in their households to speak up, particularly mothers who are dependent on men financially. It's, I know it's difficult, but your child needs to come first. You are better off in a safer place that is like a tiny room with all of your children, just you and your kids, than being in this massive house with this a potential abuser who's essentially ruining your children's lives. So just speak out. It might take you a while. If you're scared and you don't know where to start, get help. There's people out there who are willing to assist you in the process, who will guide you in the process. Uh, but it has to get done because, again, you are raising children who will become either good adults or bad adults who will either take what you've taught them and take it out there into the world and repeat, rinse and repeat, or they'll take the bad that you've taught them and rinse and repeat. So you get to decide what kind of children you want to raise. And you can play a, a, a huge role in making sure that it's actually you know, you're actually raising good kids. And it is your duty. Yes. It's your duty to protect your children. Absolutely. If you cannot, stop having children. Just stop. <laughs> so, Karen, how does Benita Attorneys Inc., you know, approach these situations in particular? You know, um, like, again, just the idea of a lawyer. Like, lawyers, when I, when I think about law, and I'm just like, lawyers, and I think about lawyers' fees, and I'm just like, yo, hi, 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 hi. <laughs> You know, like most South Africans, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, there's no way. Like, there has to be another way. So, how do you guys, um, you know, particularly approach such circumstances where, let's say, like a young single parent comes to you out of sheer desperation and they have tried everything. They've gone political post. They've been to every single court. They've filled in every single form. They've done it all. They've tried to communicate with the other family. Nobody's helping. Everybody's fighting. It's just a mess. And they knock at your door and they say, hi, Karen, I'm unemployed. I'm a single parent. I've got two children. I'm struggling. Can you guys help me? What do you guys do? Okay. So in those circumstances, I mean, you know, it, it comes to a situation, firstly, if they are unemployed and they gen like legitimately do not have any form of income. Yeah. We do have pro bono services, um, obviously also through the law society. They're always a, a avenue you can approach. So sure. they will provide you with an attorney in the area yeah. of, you know, whatever your matter is concerning, um, who can assist. And then there's advocates that are also connected if it needs to go to a high court or, you know, anything along those lines. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I myself, um, you know, my mom was also a, a single parent for a long time. Maintenance does become an issue. So I understand the plight of mm. these parents that sure. really struggle sure. and, you know, they don't have money for an attorney. It's a nice to have, but mm. don't have money mm. to go to court and fight. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I typically try to be fair with clients. Um, I, you know, I, would try to give a, a sort of payment plan, you know, sure. obviously on the spectrum where they can afford to sure. make some sort of payments just so I can help people. Um, you know, I have my other side of my practice where, you know, it keeps me going, my mm. bread and butter. Yeah. The family law is my passion. So for yeah. me, that's what I resonate with. It's what I enjoy to do. And I like to help people. Of course. So I try to make a plan where I can, um, you know, when I see somebody's plight, I, 
I try to step in and assist. Yeah. You know, we are a business at the end of the day. Sure. Um, so I'm, you know, but we, we try to assist where we can. So if I can refer to somewhere where you can get everything done mm. for free, mm. then great. If, you know, I need to sort out a payment plan or something with you, then I'm also happy to do those yeah. kind of things. We thank you for your work, Karen. <laughs> we th- the world needs more people like this. Honestly, I, I had an interesting conversation the other day um, with my partner and, and he was like, this, our sole purpose as humans is to end the suffering of others. That is it. It's no bigger than that and no smaller than that. Your sheer purpose on life within your own ability is to end the suffering of other people. And if you can do that through your work, through your passions, through whatever it is that you do, then you'll generally just, you'll feel, it'll, you'll feel so connected. It'll just make sense. The energy will be right. So thank you. Yeah, and I agree with you. And you know, when you, when you take on matters like that and you help a person, I also Mm. think, you know, it's full circle in the world. Definitely. Definitely. The universe is always listening. That's for sure. Exactly. We're almost out of time, which sucks. This is like the worst part of the show because I have to say goodbye. And there's so many things I still want to know. Like I can imagine meeting like a different range of people, different ranges of people that are going through different things. And, and, and to date, what would you say is like your most memorable encounter or your most memorable story of a family that you helped or a child that you helped in the situation? Like, is there one family where you're like, yo, this was hectic, but we got it done. So there was a matter when I was still doing articles. Yeah. Um, so it, w- it wasn't my actual matter, but mm. I, I was obviously assisting the head attorney on it. Sure. Um, it, yeah, it was quite a traumatic story. Um, so basically it was a young girl her, um, she had a child obviously out of wedlock. Father mm. was nowhere to be seen. Mm. Um, and she, as a child was put into care. So her parents died as well when she was very young. So she was put oh, into no. care of like a, a foster family. Sure. And, um, they basically took her in, raised her. She happened to fall pregnant while she was very young mm. under their care. Mm. And the guy that she had, um, entered into the relationship was a horrific person. Mm. Um, a lot older than her. Anyway, mm. fell pregnant with this little girl. The father was then arrested, put into jail. Um, so she ended up with this child on her own. Yeah. And then eventually she made her way through school. She was always such a positive, like, you know, happy person. Mm. Made her way through school, took care of her child the whole time, mm. went on her own with this child. And then the school picked up something in a drawing that this little girl had drawn. Mm. And they took it on a sexual connotation that this child is now being exposed to something of a sexual nature. Mm. And without contacting or informing the mother, they've contacted social services and they removed the child out of her care. Yo. And so the fight was basically now to try and get this child back. And we went through months and years of reports and psychologists and social workers and this poor little girl just wanted to be with her mom she was mm. still so bonded with her mm. um the family that had her was her foster family and they also loved her and wanted her sure. so they were just both fighting about getting this little girl sure but it was just the circumstances of how they took her away and you know she didn't have any grounds to defend herself i mean and if you'd seen the drawings there was just nothing that was mm. 
in my opinion, that would. I'm curious, like, that. what kind of drawing would you know? Even honestly, yeah, there was nothing in it. It was like a kid's scribble. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know how it even got to that point, but eventually the attorney obviously got it through, and mm. you know, I, I mean, there, there were so many factors that I, I just can't even yeah. go into with yeah. obviously out of time and stuff. But yeah. that that was a very traumatic case, and like when that came through, and she got her daughter back. I mean, sure. you know, it was one of those moments where you just see the daughter running down. Yeah. Yeah, like in the movies, down the court. Oh, you know, you cry. did. Like we were all like crying, and yeah. like it was. Yeah, it was very, very emotional, and that was like a real like. You know, this is why we do this. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and then sadly, she actually passed away a few years after that. Oh mother, no. So it was yeah, quite tragic. But she's okay. I was not expecting. That. <laughs> yeah. So you see, those are one of the ones that just they sit with you and of stay course, with you. But of yeah, course. sure. That was a memorable one. Yeah. Yeah. No, you guys must go through quite a bit. Like even within yourselves, like emotionally and like mentally, you have to just be on form because yeah. it just can't be easy. Can't yeah, it's easy. not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some are quite straightforward and simple, but yeah. others that definitely gets emotional. Yeah. Karen, thank you so much for, for joining me on Life with LeBang today. Um, it has been quite insightful <laughs> to hear what the law has to say about our matters. And I just do hope that somebody out there listening can take from this and now have a, a, a refreshed approach. If, if they are dealing with this, they know that there's people out there that can help. So Karen, where can somebody get your information if they would like to inquire about your services? Okay. Um, so we have a, our website, it's obviously www www.benetainc.co.za and yeah. Benita spelled B-E-N-A-T-A-R and it's I-N-C for ink. <laughs> yes. Um, and then obviously um, if you find it on the website, my contact details and email address are on there as well. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Karen, for making the time to share with us on Life with Lebang and thank you at home as well. Whatever you're doing right now, I hope that we've added some value onto your day, even if it's just information that you knew nothing about. Now you know a little bit something about something you didn't know before. So go out there in the world and be great and remember just try and somebody's suffering just a little bit it'll make you feel a lot better about why you're here see you next week love ya cliffcentral.com